Hi everybody, welcome back to the Wild Womb Podcast. This is episode three. I just want to say again, thank you so much to everybody who's listening and everybody who's given me any feedback and has been willing to talk to me. It's been such an amazing experience. My heart really is still in a million pieces and just continues to feel full and burst every day and I'm just so excited about this and I hope that people listening are feeling excited and like they're learning things from the conversations. It's uh people have a lot to say and it's really cool to hear about other other people and their experiences and how we're lifting each other up and trying to make some changes where we can. Um this week I have an actual role model of mine and it was really exciting to get to talk to her and hear about how she came into her work and how she's really really on the foreground working to change women's care. Um, in in the healthcare system. She's an absolute champion for women's health uh, here in New York and is a home birth midwife. Her name is Tanya Wills. Um, She has a slew of credentials, which you'll you'll kind of hear about through the episode. She's totally passionate about women's health and is just doing so much to change how the discourse of of healthcare has gone. Um, She runs Manhattan Birth, which is an organization that goes by the slogan down-to-earth care with no purple crystals, which I think you'll see through the episode really rings true for Tanya. She's absolutely no bullshit. She's just going to give you the truth, and she's here to tell the truth, and you'll certainly see that. Um, She offers uh, childbirth education, lactation consultants, um, she has doula services with Manhattan Birth and also does well woman care. So if you're ever looking to get a pap smear without a speculum and to talk about reproductive health without any judgment, go see Tanya. She's amazing. She really is changing so much and I just found this episode to be so inspiring and I hope you feel the same. Um, I will not keep you waiting too much longer. I think there's so much here and so much to to be said on this topic, obviously. <laughs> um, but yeah, enjoy. Thanks for listening. Sure. So what I do now is I am primarily a home birth midwife. Um, what that means is I take care of people in their homes throughout their pregnancy and uh, primarily deliver their babies or as midwives say, we catch babies because the mm-hmm. people who are birthing them actually birth them. Um, and so I catch their babies in their homes and then I take care of them in their homes after the birth uh, until they start to see their pediatrician. So that's primarily what I do. And the other hat that I wear is as the owner of Manhattan Birth, which we have a little tagline that is heartfelt, down-to-earth, no purple crystals, childbirth preparation. So we provide childbirth preparation and parenting resources and support groups for people who are starting families. And um, we are trying there. It's, it's a team of us. There's about eight of us on the team. And I do do some of the teaching, and we also have some doulas and lactation counselors um, on our staff. And what we're trying to do really is make childbirth education as accessible as we possibly can. So the idea is that, you know, you don't already have to have seen a birth. You don't have to have 
a, you know, a higher spiritual practice than most people. You know, this is not something that is not accessible to you. This is something for the masses. And we try to just kind of bring it right down to earth. So people will sort of say, Hey, you know, uh, I've never run a marathon. Do you think that I could give birth? And the answer of course is, yeah, of course you can, you know, there's no question that you can. And in fact, in my midwifery practice, I say, you think you can't go ahead and prove it. Yeah. (laughs) Baby's not going to come out, prove it. So, um, so that's what we're doing. And, you know, the idea behind what we're doing at Manhattan birth is we help people who are giving birth in every setting. So, you know, I definitely acknowledge that as a midwife, as a home birth midwife, my services are going to reach less than 1% of the population having babies. So, mm-hmm. but if we look at the percentage of people who are simply going to have babies in, in any setting, that is where we can really make big change. And the, the change that we want to make is twofold. One is that we'd like for our maternity care system to be better. And the way that we'd like it to be better is because they want it to be better because more people will pay for it if they make it better. So our work is really at the consumer level. Um, We like to talk directly to people who are having babies and help them understand what kind of care is available, what kind of care they deserve and how to get it. And how do people find you? Because I I feel like do you think that they have to kind of know about natural childbirth to find an interest in find Manhattan birth? Well, a lot of, I, I would say a lot of people find us at this point through word of mouth. I would say, you know, the vast majority, that's how people are finding us. Um, some people mm-hmm. just Google, you know, childbirth classes in Manhattan and they find us. Um, people who are interested in taking childbirth classes oftentimes will find us because we offer a comprehensive childbirth course that is eight weeks long. It includes a lactation and breastfeeding class um, and really takes people through an understanding of childbirth itself, but also the maternity care system in which we give birth, which in every setting we are affected by that system. So, you know, people who are having home births, people are having birth and center births, people are having hospital births. doesn't matter. Everyone is affected by the system in which we give birth. So uh, even home births are not immune from that system um, in, yeah. entirely. I mean, you know, we don't need to, you know, you don't need to register with us when you, when you show up <laughs> for the birth because yeah. we already know you. So right. we avoid some of that, but there's still, you <laughs> the know, we're affected, you know, by everything. So, so what we're trying to do is make change by educating consumers um, about how to talk to their care provider about about their birth. And, you know, one of the things that we've noticed over the years is that, you know, the hospital is really good at taking care of you if you really are in medical trouble. But where they kind of get up is what to do with the regular people. Right. Yeah, to the not sick people and avoiding the pathologizing of this process. Exactly. Um, you know, I, I have a friend that I joke with about this, about like, you know, so so what's going on with this person who, you know, she, she's a midwife in the hospital. And I say, you know, what's going on with this person? She's like, well, there's a big problem. The problem is that she's here and that she's pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> so this is problem that we have to solve that is getting her unpregnant when, you know, the truth is she's going to do that if we just stay out of her way for the most part. Um, but 
unfortunately, there are a lot of other factors at play that have nothing to do with the health of you and your baby. And it's important that consumers understand what those things are so they might advocate for better care. And what would you say some of those things are? Well, that's a big I would question. say there are, two, <laughs> there are two major things in the system that are at play, specifically in the hospital system, right? right. Um, and it's important that people know that if they give birth in a birthing center that is located in a hospital, that's a hospital, right? So there's right. always going to be protocols in place that really don't have all that much to do with you, right? So mm-hmm. one would be uh, fear of liability, right? Okay. So yeah. um, OBGYN is the most litigious area of medicine. Um, one of the things that I, I always tell my classes is that, you know, I was a doula before I became a midwife, you know, and I thought that I, I knew what was going on in the hospital. And then when I actually went to nursing school and I went to midwifery school, I went to Yale, you know, I realized that it was about a thousand times truer than I ever thought that it was before. <laughs> and uh, we used to joke uh, when I was at Yale in, in midwifery school because every single day without exception in class, and you know, Yale is definitely a, school, a midwifery school that is a champion for physiologic birth and for natural birth, and, and even supported me in my efforts to learn about out-of-hospital birth, which a lot of university programs don't. So they are definitely you know, a champion f- for that. And every day they would say, and you know, just in case you wind up in court, or if you wind up in court, and you know, we would laugh because she would say, and you know, I kind of don't want to say this again. And we'd be like, but you're gonna, <laughs> you know, when you wind up in court, this is what your chart says. And so, so, um, that is very much a part of even midwifery care. And, and I will say as a home birth midwife, it is something that is discussed about among home birth midwives about lawsuits and what happens if there's a lawsuit and we are not immune from it either. Um, it's just a part of the healthcare system right now. And I always tell my students that, you know, one of the issues that we have right now is there's a lot that's sort of written about natural childbirth saying, oh, well, the doctor doesn't have time for you and the doctor just wants to get to their tea time or they want to get to their their dinner reservations or they have tickets to Hamilton, which is really important. But anyway, um, <laughs> they, they, you know, but it's really important. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. But I think what has happened nowadays, you know, a lot of that stuff, like, you know, I, I have the utmost respect for Ina May and for all the people who have written books, um, you know, those books that, that help us learn about these things. But what's happening now is that doctors have practices with 12 doctors in them, you know, or eight doctors right. in them. And so they can just get someone to cover for them if they have Hamilton, you know, if they have Hamilton tickets or they have a dinner reservation. You know, what's really happening is that they got to the OBGYN. So they could help people. And instead, they're in OBGYN helping people the best they possibly can, but always remembering that part of helping people has to be helping themselves keep their jobs and helping the hospital stay open. Right, right. Of course. Um, So that often is going to mean defensive medicine, and that's going to mean earning enough money to pay your malpractice. And that's going to mean clearing beds so the hospital can get people through. So there are many hospitals where I know people who work here in New York City who say everybody has their baby in 24 hours. That is going to happen. That bed is going to be cleared in 24 hours. It's definitely happening um, because we're so crowded and it's, you know, it's really all over the doula community right now about how certain hospitals, you know, people are having their babies in triage, people are having their babies in the operating room and people are laboring in the hallway because they've closed so many maternity units, 
and people are just flooding into these places and they don't have enough rooms for them. So they just speed it up. Yeah. Yeah. I've been definitely seeing that on the rise the last few years. So that's, I think, a big part of it. And um, I think that that's not spoken about enough that, you know, the people who take care of us in the hospital setting, especially, um, want very, very much to provide us with the highest quality of care when they come to work that day. But their hands are very tied. So they're trying to, you know, they're making bargains that they have to make sometimes. Right. And so how do you find um, like home birth to be different of course it's very different but how like in terms of liability and everything how are how are your hands less tied well each home birth midwife is gonna take her education experience and expertise and she's gonna be able to decide based on her practice and the client that she has in front of her what she'd like to do at home and what she would not like to do at home Mm -hmm. right right so you know, there's not like silly institutional protocols, like the person has to have their baby in 24 hours, you know, so we have to clear a bed. So like, you know, we're, we're free from that, you know, we're free from that monitoring. Exactly. (laughs) Like we're free. And if the person needs constant monitoring, then we're not going to be at home. You know, if there's some clinical indication that says this, this baby is not looking good, we really need to look at this baby much, much more closely than that person belongs in the hospital. You know, for most home birth midwives, that's the way that it will go down. But we don't just say, well, just in case we're going to strap a monitor to you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And a lot of that just in case comes from the fact that, you know, I'm taking, you know, four people a month. That's how many people I'm taking care of. You know, I mean, I'm thinking of a particular uh, doctor practice that we have here in New York City that is very, very popular and very supportive of physiologic birth. And they're doing 100 a month between the four of them. So, you know, I'm doing four. If one of those doctors is doing 25, you can see how they have to kind of make some of that monitoring into kind of more factory level care. They have to sort of scale the way that they monitor people because they can't just stand there and hold the Doppler on on your belly. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's part of why their hands are tied. So. You know, the the benefit of being in the hospital is that you're across the hallway from an operating room. The downside is that if they're wheeling you in there, we have no idea if they've really been keeping track of you. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then how, how would you or help people choosing a care provider? Like, what are the things that you encourage the people you work with to think about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that there's just a backup for a minute about that. Um, you know, one of the things I... I you know, I was a doula before I became a midwife, right? But first mm-hmm. I was first I was a musician and an actor, and then I became pregnant. And through my pregnancy journey, I started learning about birth uh, because I didn't know anything about birth. And then after I had my baby, I was so fascinated by this whole subject that I, you know, became a doula and then became a midwife. So I always, I always still think of myself as a doula at heart because that's really how I learned about childbirth was you know, at the feet of people who were doing it, you know, just sitting next to people and supporting them, those people who are having babies and learning from their journey also as a childbirth educator. So one of the things that doulas often say to me is, you know, how do I get to them earlier? How do I get them as early as possible in their pregnancy or before they become pregnant? And I really think that the answer to that is so much bigger 
than the doula community and the birth community here in New York City. And a big part of that is the way that we educate our girls and our young women and birthing people or people who could become pregnant in college and in the years in which they are really um, exercising the most independence over their own sexuality and their fertility, right? Yeah. Um, so, so like, where does that exist? It really doesn't. And, you know, when I became pregnant with my first baby, I always tell people like, this is what, this is 10 years ago for me. And this is what I knew. I knew how to manage my period. I knew how to get pregnant and I knew how to not get pregnant. And for me, the act of purposefully getting pregnant with somebody I was married to was actually, it actually felt a little bit deviant because I had gotten very good at not getting pregnant. Yeah. I was like, really? <laughs> like I had aced the other two things up until that point, right? So I meet, I meet young women who are ready to get pregnant and they say, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get pregnant. And I'm like, well, why don't you think you're going to be able to get pregnant? And it's like, cause they've heard about infertility and because they've been gotten really good at not getting pregnant and like, <laughs> you know, they've never, they've never tried before. And this is not, I mean, obviously there are, they're absolutely, I mean, infertility is, is a whole nother scenario, a whole nother talk that is very important to have and is, you know, very hush hush and not talked about. Um, I think uh, among a lot of women, as are many sure. other fertility topics, which I hope you're going to, I'm sure you're going to talk about here, Kelly. Yeah, um, but, I'm so excited too. <laughs> I can't wait for you to talk about abortion and miscarriage and it's going to yeah, be awesome. Yeah, no, me too. It's amazing. It's going to be so amazing because this is how we're going to take our power is when we take the shame out of the fact that we're fertile. Yeah. And like you're saying about knowing how to do just those three things with your body that, you know, there's so much room for not knowing, you know, and I think that we're all very good at not getting pregnant and knowing our periods, but then there's all this other stuff that no one is educated on. That's exactly right. And, and it has to do with, I mean, I don't want to blame the women's revolution because I thank them for so much, but you know, we have wanted to be so much more than people carrying babies you know, in history. And in a way, it's like the pendulum sort of moved to this other side saying, okay, well, just don't get pregnant, you go to college and you can create. So then no one's talking about it. And then when we get to the point where super smart, educated people get to an age where they're like, actually, I'd like to have a family. And then they get pregnant and then they don't know what to do. So they just go to the nearest doctor and they are uh, afraid because they don't understand how their bodies work in actual pregnancy. And because they, they never studied that. They studied like what happens if you get an STI. They saw close-up pictures of an STI in, in high school to shame them and to make them afraid to have sex and mm -hmm. all of this whole thing. So we need to put that aside for a second. So that's sort of like the background that we sort of universally have, you know, in, in, in this country. And then when we actually have to say, wait a minute, how does this work? The only thing we're being fed is your body's going to get ruined and you're never going to sleep again. Right, exactly. And you're, yeah, oh, it's <laughs> perfect. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. so that's the baseline. That's what, that's the baseline that we're dealing with. And so part of my personal mission um, is to be a thought leader and a modern voice for the reality that is childbirth, which is what if you did this and no one could ever take it away from you? Yeah. You know, what if you had your baby 
and you held your baby and said, I did it. And then that was yours for the rest of your life. And everybody around you said, of course you can do it. I'm here with you. Of course you can do it. I'm here with you. Yeah. It'd be yeah, such your a life different is world. Change. Yeah. Your life is going to change. It's going to change slowly and you can handle it. You are becoming all you are meant to be right now. Yeah. And that this is not something, you know, something to be ashamed of. This is not something to be hidden. You don't lose your value in your career or as a person in society because you decide that you want to have a family. Right. And um, this is a big thing. And by the way, I'm only talking about this one side of it. I mean, the, the whole side of, as we've already said, of women's fertility that is infertility and that is also pregnancy loss and, and you know, um, everything that sort of surrounds uh, pregnancy loss and termination and abortion is a whole nother thing that is also being, being hidden and is being taboo. So maybe in my life, maybe with social media, all of this will come out. And I've seen, you know, some very in, incredibly impressive things coming from new voices with people saying, no, we're here. This happens. You're not alone. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah, really refreshing. It's amazing. I do think that it's evolving quite a, quite a lot and, and quickly. And I hope it just keeps going because I would love to see that within my career that these things are being normalized. Oh, man, I would love to see that for every for everybody, but especially for my daughter. Yeah. Especially for my daughter, you know, I mean, I, I just think, you know, thank God I'm, I'm a person who like when my guts start telling me something isn't right, then I start investigating. And that's what happened to me in my first pregnancy is that my guts started telling me, you know, these five minute appointments with my doctor where she basically ignores me, they're not feeling so good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I started going, this can't be, is this really it? Like, is this care? I didn't feel like it, you know? Um, but, um, you know, I, I really hope that we can improve that for everybody because we'll build a better society in that case. But on a basic level, when someone is pregnant and they come to me and they ask me about their care provider, what we basically do is ask questions to that pregnant person or to that couple, if it's a couple, and get their answers. And then we tell them the truth, right? What you, here's what you've chosen because this is the information you had and I'm going to give you some new information about what I know about the place where you're giving birth. And then you're going to decide what you want to do with that. If you decide that you'd like to switch care providers, we happen to be experts in that and we will help you with that. It's never too late to switch. You can switch all the way until the day that you give birth. We have organized that for people who want it. Um, but the idea being that we are going to be honest with them and we're going to tell them what it is. And then we're going to give them the respect and the autonomy to make their own decisions. We will be a resource. We're not going to judge their decision, but we're going to tell you the truth. Yeah. Which is what people need. <laughs> yeah. It's very, very tricky. It's very tricky. And, you know, we definitely get our share of people. We offer pregnancy mentoring sessions for people who are uh, trying to conceive or are newly pregnant and they just want it. Somebody said, Oh, sit down with Tanya Wills and, you know, she will talk you through the landscape of New York and what you might want. And, you know, I do these sessions with people. They last about an hour, hour and a half. And I send them a follow-up of a whole bunch of resources where I just say, tell me about your dream birth. What do you think? And sometimes they know and sometimes they don't know. And I'm just explaining to them the difference between a doctor and a midwife 
and that you can have a midwife in the hospital or in the birthing center at home. It's going to be different for everybody, but you can do any of those things here in New York and just talking them through what the options are. And then a lot of people come to me in the middle of their pregnancy and say, Tanya, I need a session with you because I think, I think this is, I think this is going in the wrong direction. Can you help point me in the right direction? So we sit down and we counsel people about that. It's one of our favorite things. And then we tell them that they deserve the right (laughs) and the space to decide what's best for them. Mm -hmm. And so what kind of advice would you give people um, on how to like distinguish between a care provider that they actually resonate with and one that they don't? Because I hear a lot of the time is, you know, people say they really like their doctor. They've had the same one for years and years. But when you get actually asking questions, it sounds like things aren't really connecting. So how can how do you kind of guide them to figure that out? Well, it has to come from them first, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, one of the things that we do in our classes is, you know, our class, our eight-week series is sort of structured that, you know, in the first week, week and a half, we talk about choices. We talk about the landscape. We talk about getting aligned with someone who shares your philosophy, right? And what that might look like, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're a person... You know, and we have plenty of people who come to us and say, listen, I don't know if I'm going to want an epidural or not, but I knew that if I came here, I would learn about everything. Right? Meaning I would learn about how to go natural, or if I decide I want to get an epidural at the time, I will have gone as far as I wanted, and I'll know all about epidurals. So I'll make that decision in, in an informed way and not as a person who shows up at a hospital and they say, we have an epidural. You ask them what the risks are. They say nothing. And then you sign a paper. Right. Which is, right. Yeah. Which is a, not true. It's not true. It's this <laughs> yeah. idea that we're infantilizing the woman, you know, and she doesn't need to be infantilized. She's very smart and uh, she can make intelligent decisions. So, so what I would say for people who, you know, they want, to be treated with respect they want to be given time they want to be given guidance and they want their baby with them they want someone who's not going to do a c-section on them unless they absolutely need it right and they want to be in a setting that is going to allow them to birth their baby comfortably mm-hmm. right and and each person is going to define what that means what makes you feel comfortable and that's going to be different for everybody um, and we have to respect that as childbirth educators and that they might not know and they might change their minds. And that's all OK. Yeah. Um, it's it's the one size fits all approach of the institution that um, I think actually kind of gets the institution into trouble, basically, because we know that our maternal mortality, especially for people of color, sucks in this country and in New York City. So um, factory care is what got us that, you know. Yeah. Um, so here's what we do. We, um, we explain to them what the different models of care are, or we ask them to explain, right? If we have someone in class who's already chosen a midwife, we ask them, what are your visits like? You know, if we have someone in class who's chosen an OBGYN that they love, 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 we ask them, what are your visits like? And if we ask somebody who has got sort of the scenario that you're talking about, which is, you know, I sort of am with this person getting my pap smears every year, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, you know, she gave me birth control pills, you know, yeah. and then, um, you know, that now they turned up pregnant. 
you know, what are your visits like? What are your discussions about the birth with your doctor like? And they go, oh, well, she said we don't have to talk about that. And whenever I want to talk to her about it, her hand is on the doorknob. Yeah. You know, her ha- hand is on the door saying, you're good. You don't need anything, right? Yeah, it's so crazy. <laughs> right? Yeah. So just sort of making people aware that, like, oh, just being in a room with other people can make people aware that there are other options. And, and that's, I think, one of the things that happens is that people come to class and they say, as soon as, as soon as you started going through all the things about what might make a good care provider for me, which, you know, is going to be different for everybody, I knew I was in the right place and I felt really relieved. And then some people will say, I was like, wow, my care provider spends two minutes with me, doesn't look me in the eye. And I just go, well, she's a doctor. Yeah. Well, I I think people don't realize one of the biggest problems I think with like trying to reach people on this is that they don't realize that they're not being treated properly or that they're not given the space to ask questions. Like a a lot of people are convinced that they did have the autonomy. And so, yeah, I just, I I agree when they hear other stories like, Oh, that's what it could be like. I see. And then they start questioning it. Yeah. So that's important to have that group. And then, And then like when we see the window opening a crack to say, hey, we're a resource for you. So if you're thinking you might be in the wrong place and you want to talk it out with us, we'll talk it out with you after class. And if you're thinking you want to switch, but you think nobody takes anybody after 20 weeks, that's not true. We know the people who take people after 20 weeks who are also supportive. So uh, we're really, really good at that. And we love being like a lifeline for those people because we realize as childbirth educators, you know, we're really the only people that are in their lives that are going to give them this kind of time. Yeah, it's true. You know, they can say, oh, my, I have three friends who had their babies with this doctor or I have, you know, whatever, but it's still like not going to speak to the breadth of really what's going on in town and how does this compare to your other choices. So So here's what I can do for people. I can make them aware of the differences in the models of care and what's available. And through some other questions, help sort of point them in the right direction. But what their job is to do is to ultimately make the choice where their shoulders are going to go down and they're going to say, this is right. And then they're going to take responsibility for the choice that they made. Right. Right. So that means if I choose to give birth in a place where I know I need to fight, then I'm ready to fight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Take responsibility for that. Or if I choose to give birth in a place that um, has a lot of restrictions uh, on whether or not I can have my baby there, then I take responsibility for that choice as well. I think that's just the, I mean, the best way to do it. And I think like reaching people, earlier like we kind of started mentioning how would you see that how like you know and of course reaching them earlier would help with this whole process but how would you like to see people starting to think about these things sooner or being taught these things sooner you know oh my god it's so big it's it's so big Kaylee like I can't even I want to like I really want you know I go to my kids my kids are in elementary school and I go to speak to the pre-K class every year they do a baby study. And my visit is the first visit that they have in the baby study where I come and I bring my baby and my pelvis and my placenta and I teach them how babies come out. Yeah. Right. 
And they never asked me how the baby got in there. (laughs) (laughs) I teach them how babies come out. I teach them about labor. I teach them about the person giving birth and what it's like for them. I teach them about options. I say, how many of you were born in the hospital? How many of you were born at home? There's always somebody who was born at home. Um, That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and we start there and I told the school that if it were up to me, I would go to every class until they graduate high school and then follow them to college and visit them every year to remind them (laughs) of, of this part of their bodies because everybody is so afraid of teenage pregnancy and STIs and basically of girls sleeping around. I mean, I'll just say, yeah, it's just about girls. We still have this. Yeah, it really is about girls getting pregnant. Everyone's so afraid of this that, I mean, they're really, they're actually, I'm lying. They're, they're not afraid of girls getting pregnant. They're afraid of girls having sex. Yeah. Yeah. That's really what it is. Yeah. Um, they're so afraid of this that right when we can, we have a very tender time. We can talk to them when they are teenagers and we're completely missing the point um, with helping them to be comfortable in their own skin as far as their reproductive system is concerned and their sexuality and their fertility. And not that I think that, you know, high school kids should be running around getting pregnant. I don't actually, I think the default should be not pregnant, but, (laughs) um, but do we have to be so afraid that we, we don't have enough time to sit down next to our daughters? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I've been um, starting to ask everybody I talked to on this is about what their sex had looked like. Um, I didn't have any when I was growing up. I had no sex ed in school. All it was was when I was in sixth grade, which was too late for most people, we got to talk about like your changing body and got handed some maxi pads. And that was it. Like nothing else. So, and I know that that's the case for a lot of people. Some people have had different or better, but it's always like very hush hush and not enough information is given and maybe you got it once. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, you know, if it were up to me, we'd have sex ed every single year and we would speak to the child at their level about this stuff. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, speak to them right where they are. Those four-year-olds, they do excellent in my talk. They know a lot about childbirth. Right when I get there, they've seen their baby brothers and sisters get born or come home from the hospital, or they know an awful lot about pregnancy. They see their teachers having babies, you know, and they're, they're learning about it. And I think that we definitely can do that. And, and I think also, I mean, thank God for sex ed in the school, because otherwise some people might get literally nothing. But I really think that when we when we speak to moms and to parents about how to speak to their kids about this stuff, you know, that we we have to meet them where they are. We have to answer their questions because if they can't ask us, then they're going to feel ashamed. Right. Yeah. They're going to shame. They're going to feel like it's something that can't be talked about. Uh, My poor kids. Jeez. Yeah. But this, this whole like hushed tone thing, you know, is, is really tricky. And then the second thing that I, I would do is remove every single place in the media that uses a woman's sexuality to sell anything. And that would basically be everything. Right. Yeah. It would be, this world would be unrecognizable if that was the case. <laughs> it, it, would be, it would be everything. I mean, so like every... You know, I'm, I'm a former, you know, musical theater actress and boy, do we have a laugh as musical theater people 
when we look at old musical theater and try to pick something that isn't going to make us feel bad about ourselves when we watch it. Right. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, and we can see that, especially like, go back and watch some movies from the eighties and the nineties, you know, I mean, it's really, it's shocking, you know, and, and for a lot of, at least my generation, you know, um, you know, we have our kids now for the most, I, I am mostly taking care of millennials now. So I'm a Gen Xer, um, is that, you know, for my generation, that was, I mean, that was media boom. I mean, TV, movies, you know, my friends and I all say, oh, we were raised by the same television, you know, mm-hmm. like what we were being fed on those screens and people say magazines. I mean, but the truth is it was really everywhere yeah. I mean, the, in the 1990s, friends, the size two thing like that, that whole thing, you know, um, these standards for women, this is such a major part of what generations have been fed and and we have to think about where it was not long ago that women couldn't get a bank account yeah yeah not long ago at all it wasn't long ago at all I mean the fact that my mother had a job that was my mom was a secretary and she had a job and that was a big deal growing up because I had so many friends whose moms were at home you know and 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 now, of course, so many women are working. Uh, they enjoy their work. They want to work. That debate about whether to go to work or stay home, that which is better for the child, that part of the debate is nearly gone because um, it's become such a part of the culture. But when you think about our parents, um, it was a very new thing because women, they couldn't get jobs that weren't like teachers or nurses. They couldn't open their own bank accounts. They couldn't do any of that. So we are undoing, you know, hundreds of years, you know, yeah. of what women were allowed to do. And that's going to take time. Yeah, absolutely. It's so much bigger than any conversation, really. <laughs> I'm sure you have some smart women's studies majors that are going to come on your podcast and are going to really be able to talk about that. Because I'm just, you know, that, you know, I was a music major. So, yeah, but we all have feelings about <laughs> It's like you can see it right in front of you, though. It's like so obvious. It's like you can't. I, this is the, the thing that I always tell people. You can't do what I do for a living and watch women do what I watch them do on a regular basis. You know, I, I mean, I attend people in their homes, right? So, like, you know, they're not confined to their backs on a bed. They are actively getting their babies out on their terms, right? And they will yell mm-hmm. at me if I get in their way. And then I move out of the way. Um <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, she's really powerful and she's really strong and I'm not messing with her while she's trying to get her baby out if I don't have to. Right. So you can't do that on a daily basis. And especially, you know, I went to midwifery school, like, you know, they just drown you in this stuff. So that was my whole world. And then kind of come up for air and watch a movie or a TV show or a play or whatever it is um, and see the way that women are portrayed and not notice how false it is, like how blatantly wrong it is in terms of the way that our strength is portrayed and the reality of what it actually is. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's such a huge thing with birth. And um, I've been thinking about this a lot is like the, the inherent fear that me exposed to and saturated in about birth being scary and painful and 
something that is, you know, pathologized, but definitely the the fear aspect of it. And like, mm-hmm. how do we unlearn that in order to have these better birth experiences and feel empowered to ask these questions? Oh, you used all the words. You used all the words, <laughs> Kaylee. All did. those words. All the words. I mean, here's the thing. I, and I feel like, I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm the only one saying this, but what if it's scary and it hurts and you can do it anyway? Right. Yeah. Also that. <laughs> like what if you get scared what happens you have people who care about you who comfort you and the people who take care of you comfort you and you deserve to be comforted when having a baby you deserve to be comfortable right yeah. um, and when I say comfortable I don't mean like comfortable like you got a new recliner I mean like you know you deserve to feel like I can be in my body I can be with this this yeah. and and what if this has value you know what if what yeah. if this has value I mean I mean, people say to me, like, oh, that was crazy. I hated that. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. And we laugh about it. And it doesn't mean that we would choose to do it differently. It doesn't mean that I'm not, that I can't handle feeling it. It doesn't mean that I'm not supposed to feel it. And by the way, how dare you infantilize me and think that I can't handle it? Yeah. Well, I think that's what it is. That's the fear. I mean, like the being afraid that you just can't do it and that we're supposed to like avoid it at all costs and avoid facing the fear. Right. And that's because we, 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 we program girls to never want to experience this, that it has no value. It has no value at all. Um, and, and of course, because they don't understand their bodies. I mean, people don't even understand their menstrual cycle. I mean, I'm not kidding you. I I was at Yale and I remember sitting with a classmate in midwifery school and we were going through the menstrual cycle and what happens in the menstrual cycle. And, and just for anybody who's listening, I I will not judge you if you thought your menstrual cycle was the week that you bled. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's what you thought it was. It's actually the cycle of the whole month that of course culminates, you know, in, in your, your bleeding. Right. Right. Um, so, so what happens to our hormones over that month? And she sat next to me and she said, Tanya, I did not know this. Yeah, that's crazy. But it's so, that's so real for most women. I think you just don't, don't understand it. And I want to tell you that the menstrual cycle, the monthly cycle that a woman goes through is totally not rocket science. You don't yeah. need to go to med school to learn it. You, this is very simple stuff that we can teach people about. That I know, like, you know, the fifth vital sign, there's a lot of people who are out there that are trying to make a difference and get that message out there. Um, but I, I don't exactly know why basic self-health is not being covered throughout the lifespan um, in, in education basically forever. Yeah, it should be. It, yeah, that's one of my most baffling questions, honestly. <laughs> so it has to do with the way that we talk to women about and girls about themselves and about their strengths and, and about what we value in them and what they are capable of. And at the very base, at the very base of who we are, we are here to have babies. I mean, that is, that's what's going on here, right? Like we've got the stuff to make that happen. And of course there's a choice, right? You don't have to do it, but I'm just saying, if you want to have a baby, you have the goods. Yeah. Right. 
So I always tell people like, I I get it. Like you you don't have to do it. Yes. You you know, you can go to the hospital. You can be, you know, you can, you can be pretty numb for it and, and that's okay. You can choose to do that. We're populating the world that way and you'll raise a fine human. Don't get me wrong. Okay. Um, And it's not the easiest thing in the world either to do it that way. I mean, you and I have both probably been to births where the epidural didn't work and there's absolutely nothing worse for a birth worker than to stand by with someone who can't feel her legs, but can feel all of her contractions. So she can't get out of her bed. Yeah. That is it's awful. absolute suffering. It's horrible. Um, and, and you don't get a whole lot of sympathy in there when that happens. If you say, Oh, I'm not sure why it's not working. Okay. Bye. And they just leave. I mean, like, <laughs> nothing really happens. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so I think it's so big and you know, I, I wish that I, that I could tell you that I knew exactly uh, how to do it. I mean, I'm going to start with my daughter, you know, and, um, and I'm also going to start with, with other people. Right. So like, you know, I really do think that the first step that we can do as women to sort of smash the patriarchy and the way that we've been portrayed and do this for our kids is to stop judging each other. Right. You know, and to start treating other women the way that we would like the patriarchy to treat us. We just start doing it. We just be the change that we want to see and um, don't judge each other's bodies and who cares who has body hair and who cares, who cares, who cares. We are uh, all just trying to make it. And this is our opportunity to do it because it really was not that long ago that we couldn't have bank accounts. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. What do you, how do you teach your daughter this? Like, how do you talk to her in a way that she doesn't take on these things you know it'll be interesting because she's seven you know so she's seven and she's at an age now where um her you know there's a little bit of you know I don't know queen bee fighting that goes on in her class you know what I mean like that's sort of the age where that starts and we'll see where it's headed um but one thing that we do, it, I mean, obviously, you know, she knows a lot about birth and about babies. And it was very interesting. Both my kids do. I have a, I have a almost 10 year old boy and I have a seven and a half year old girl. And, you know, they both know an awful lot about how babies come out. They know about babies. They know about the work that I do. And they think that what I do is just kind of whatever. Like they, you know, my mom's a midwife. It's cool. What, right. But when their friends mm-hmm. come over, they have a lot of questions about the work that I do, right? Especially, I'm sure, yeah. Especially my daughter's friends. Like, you know, Tanya, I have some questions for you. How do you know when the baby's going to come? You know, and they, they want to ask, <laughs> you know? So I always just sort of throw something else in there, right? So if they say something, oh my God, the baby comes out down there, right? Then I say, yeah, I know, mm-hmm. isn't that crazy? And then it goes back to the way that it was and you can use it again. Like I say something like that, you know? Like I, I just sort of yeah. throw in, some sort of like, yeah, isn't that awesome that like your mom gave birth to you and like you have eggs inside of you and your mom was really carrying her grandkids. Isn't that cool? You know, and, and just throwing in these little tidbits here and there about like what's normal and like, and oh yeah, she's really strong. Or if I'm at a birth for a really long time, right. I come back and you know, my kids will say that was a long birth and I'll say, yeah, that mama, she was so strong. Whew man, she was stronger than me. She was strong, you know, you know, and I'll I'll say something like that, you know, or, or like, um, this is my favorite. So like, uh, you know, we, 
we were we were talking about some video game. We're talking about Mario, right? And like we won the game and like Princess Peach got released from her castle, right? And Violet said, mm-hmm. So what happens now that Princess Peach is is released? And I was like, What do you think? Do you think she has interests? Yeah. <laughs> You think she's gonna That's get a career? A way, yeah. <laughs> what do you think she? When and or like we're you know we're 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 reading Cinderella and I'd be like, do you think Cinderella has interests besides cleaning and princes? What do you think she's into? What might what might make this more interesting? You know, or 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 if I see somebody's strength or something like that, or or I'll say you can see that this character like this is just a fairy tale. This is not life, you know. And she'll say, "Mommy, mommy, I know it's fine." <laughs> but we start there and you know this is my commitment to them is that you know we're in a body positive household right and and i and that means i'm gonna meet them where they are and that if it burns when you pee you can talk to me about it (laughs) great yeah and that's that's where it needs to start in those those little conversations. I really love that asking if Cinderella has other interests. Yeah. I think that that's, <laughs> it's so important. They don't think about it, you know? Yeah, just be like, you're a princess and that's what you do. That's it. <laughs> you know, or like when we were at Disney World, like we were waiting to get like an autograph from Snow White, you know? And I was like, what do you yeah. think she's interested in? <laughs> she's like, mommy, I'm going to get her autograph. <laughs> just let her be a princess (laughs) no that yeah that stuff is so important because then they can they carry that on no matter what like whether they realize it or not which they probably don't because they get it from you all the time which is amazing you know I think that and then also you know this is a little a little bit about school and how you know kids have to go to school my kids go to school you know I know not everybody sends their kids to school but I do and um they I always tell them whatever they're having their challenges with is to work on your challenges, but to keep in mind that it's what you're good at that you're going to stick with and to always Mm -hmm. honor and stay close with the things that you enjoy and that you're good at because that's where you're going to go in life. That's yeah, that's great. Great advice. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that like the real health educators and the sex educators that you have are going to know a lot more about it. I read as much as I can on it, but I feel like just, you know, straight talk, meeting them where they're at is the best that we can possibly do. You know, I think come back to me in a few years because my boy is 10. I think in five years, I'll have a lot more to say about it. For sure. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, this is really the age where they, like so many other things start coming into play. Mm -hmm. It's such an interesting time. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And, and like, of course that brings us back to, women that you're working with and being able to talk straight to them. Um, I did want to ask you about like the body positivity for women that you work with. Um, Mm -hmm. So I've been hearing a lot with people's birth stories about care providers telling them they've gained too much weight or that sort of thing. And of course we had that conversations about that in the Metro doula group and it's just always something. So how do you do that differently? I don't weigh my people. Amazing. Okay, great. I'm so happy. I don't to hear care. That. I, don't, I don't care. Good. <laughs> I don't care. So, you know, for... that's so great. I don't do it. It's and so I, unnecessary. It's so unnecessary. Let me tell you, here, here's what it, this is. This is me where I'm coming from. I mean, keep in mind that I don't need to weigh my people. And part of the reason I don't need to is because I know their names. I don't have to look it up. 
You know right. what I like? I know right. who I'm dealing with when they're in front of me, you know? Um, so I know what's been happening over the course of this pregnancy. And so what I do counsel people on is th- are things that we know are good for pregnancy. And that would be a healthy, nutritious diet. So what you're putting mm-hmm. in your body and exercise. So moving your body um, has many, many health benefits all across the board. Um, and, and I know that they sort of have made us believe that the only health benefit we should care about is the number on the scale. But the truth is the benefits that we get, it, the, the number, you know, somebody's five foot five, one person is going to weigh 120 pounds and one person is going to weigh 150 pounds. It's not going to make any difference in the end of their pregnancy. It's really not. As long as they have good nutrition and they're moving their body, you know, that they're, they're getting those benefits. That's, that's the most important thing. And, you know, our bodies are going to change and nothing. It's like, I, I recently had a client who came to me who said, I don't want to get fat. And I was like, yeah, I have that too. And I don't know how to even answer that question. You know, I'm like, okay, well, um, I would suggest that you continue. I mean, you, you're not fat at the beginning of your pregnancy. You're regular and just keep doing what you're doing and you're going to grow a baby. So helping people to understand that like your body is going to you're going to gain 50% of your blood volume over again, right? So it's not, people say, oh, she, she had a baby. She got pregnant and she was all baby. Like you can't be all baby. That's impossible. Yeah. Right. Right. You have to be, you have to be placenta and you have to be amniotic fluid and you have to be blood volume and you have to be adipose tissue with, which is fat. So people who are very, very underweight, the body knows those people don't have, don't have menstrual cycles because the body knows this is not a body that can support a pregnancy. Right. So we need adipose tissue and that's part of what your body needs to support the pregnancy. So I don't weigh my people. What I do is I talk with them about nutrition and exercise, right? We're going to have a home birth. So we're going to be healthy. We're going to be boring. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I measure, (laughs) I measure their fundus. I measure their uterus to make sure that the baby is growing properly. And the only thing that makes your uterus grow is the thing inside of it. So that's usually going to be you know, the baby. And I feel the baby on the outside of their body with my hands to make sure that that kind of matches up with what I'm measuring. And, and we're done. I mean, we really are. Um, because I'm a home birth midwife, I only take care of people who don't have complicated health issues. So the right. argument about whether or not if you're overweight, you will have complicated health issues, somebody else can fight about that. I'm just going to deal with what's in front of me. And if you don't have complicated health issues, we're good. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause that, that is a whole other topic on its own. I don't necessarily mean, or think, or, I really yeah. don't think that being overweight means that you're now at higher risk. And I think that's, that's something that needs to change for that sure. Is a, that, that, that connection of the number on the scale being a hidden code of this person's health when you have a healthy person standing in front of you, that right. is, that is a total, that is, that is, it's totally misguided. And, and I have to say, this is what's really important. And part of the reason why I don't weigh my patients is because, um, here's what we know from the data about people and weight and medical counsel basically is this, we have nothing to offer. Yeah. The medical system has nothing to offer people except for surgery. Yeah. That's it. There's nothing no amount of counseling from your doctor or your midwife, no amount of their shaming, no amount of you getting on the scale every week and freaking out about how big you're getting, 
none of this works. Right. It makes no Not difference in the outcome of the pregnancy, makes no difference in the outcome of the number. So why bother? Why do this to right. people? Right. And um, I, I mean, I hear doctors talking about like gestational diabetes and that being a risk. How would you monitor that being possible? Well, I mean, here's the thing. You know, I take care of people of all shapes and sizes, and I really cannot predict to you who's going to have gestational diabetes. I, it, yeah, I really it doesn't seem to have anything to do with weight. <laughs> I mean, it for me, I think what I notice it has to do with family history and their propensity to have diabetes, right? So we know some Mm -hmm. of this is hereditary, right? Um, Yeah. You know, the other thing about it is that um, it may have to do with nutrition and exercise. So like nutrition and exercise, exercise specifically is a thing that increases insulin sensitivity, right? So that means your insulin in your body is going to work better on your blood sugar if you are a person who regularly exercises on some level, and for most New Yorkers, I mean, the good news is that a lot of people walk a lot, you know, so we, yeah. we are sort of exercising. We have active lifestyle here, which is kind of nice, right? But um, those people, generally speaking, are going to do better on those tests because we know that exercise is a thing that really can help um, with insulin it helps increase insulin sensitivity and decrease insulin resistance. So, um, so that's what I see, you know, I've seen people 200 pounds and I've seen people 130 pounds and, and I've absolutely seen in my practice, it's mostly thin people who, who, (laughs) who get it. And that has to do with that family history and that propensity for it's not their fault. They can have a perfect diet. And if they have a strong propensity towards it, then that's what we're dealing with. There's right. a genetic component that is here as well. So we deal with it. Great. We deal with it. It's yeah, not her I've... fault. You know, I've had people come to me in tears who say, before I was pregnant, I was 110 pounds. And now I'm in my second trimester of pregnancy and I'm 122 pounds. I've gained 12 pounds in this pregnancy and I exercise every day and I have good nutrition and I failed my gestational diabetes test. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. It happens. Definitely and happens. You... Yeah. It it's, yeah, that's it's, always just been a, a question of mine because I keep seeing clients or just women I know getting shamed about that and, you know, feeling like that now they're at health risk. And how do you navigate that? Because absolutely. it doesn't seem true. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I had um, I, I had a client who transferred into my care late in pregnancy and she she's a Pilates teacher. She's a fitness instructor and she's a health coach. Right. And she yeah. she's fit. I mean, this person is very healthy, uh, in pregnancy as well. And she went, I think I know the doctor you're talking about. She went to this doctor (laughs) who, you know, who said you better cut the carbs. And she was like, I've gained, I'm in my 37th week of pregnancy and I've gained 20 pounds. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, and they're telling her to cut carbs and she's like, I don't get it. Aren't you allowed to, isn't this, I think this is normal. And it's like, they're just telling every single person you're too fat. You got to watch your diet. You're too fat. You got to watch your diet. And I am, I just don't think that we, that we, that women right now are at a place where we can talk, we can that, that we are resilient enough to ignore that. The amount of pressure that comes from the suggestions of the, of the medical community because we don't understand our own bodies, because they mm-hmm. act like this stuff is rocket science. I mean, this is a whole nother topic, but 
you know, one of the things that I found so interesting in, when I was in nursing school is that I had to spend my first couple of months, you know, they would give us the literature to read. And I had to spend my first couple of months just looking up every other word and then realizing that there was a regular word for all the things that they were talking about in the medical ease. Right. Right. So they have a special medical word for something that we have everyday ways that we can we can explain it. It's sort of written in this medical code. And what sort of happens is we don't teach people about their own bodies. And so they don't understand. And so they blame themselves for the wrong things. They don't take responsibility for the right things, you know, (laughs) you know, and it gets all mixed up and we think we don't understand our bodies and it's because, you know, it's inaccessible to us. Right. But it's so not. (laughs) It's not rocket science. Nothing I'm doing is, is that complicated. How did you, um, find I mean you're mentioning nursing school so how did you how did you make your way to being a home birth midwife and yeah well you know I I learned about midwifery care uh when I was pregnant with my son so that was 10 years ago and I knew that I felt I had an OBGYN like people do uh just a side note I did not know that you do not need to go to a doctor to get a pap smear or birth. This is something I learned recently when I actually saw you as my healthcare provider. Yeah. It was not, it's not something that is told. (laughs) Yeah. They, they, they don't tell you that. I thought, Oh, I have to go to a doctor. And then, you know, of course, when you learn about what testing they're actually going to do and you're like, wait a minute, I'm not sure this has to be done by a surgeon. I'm Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm pretty sure a swab of my (laughs) vagina could be done by somebody else so anyways so um <laughs> so, that is one thing to know an OBGYN is a trained surgeon absolutely 100%. I don't think everyone knows that even yeah I mean I think a hundred percent I mean it's not to say that they don't study normal birth and they don't study how to test somebody for HPV and how to do STI testing and how to give out birth control uh they do but the most complicated rocket sciencey thing that they do is surgery you know right. you know so they spend a lot of time learning about the rocket science complicated stuff. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, when I get something in front of me that really is really complicated and does not belong uh, in my scope of practice, I definitely know exactly where to send people to very caring OBGYNs that will give them uh, very thorough uh, extended care and, and surgery if needed. Um, but I think it's important that, you know, if I think if we had an understanding of our bodies, we would understand, oh, yeah, I could just, you know, have a midwife or a nurse practitioner take care of me. Um, and the truth is that midwives and nurse practitioners tend to use fewer interventions uh, like surgery because we have other things at our disposal at our disposal and we don't necessarily jump to surgery so quickly. So um, if you if anybody wants to come by, I'm happy to do a, a little talk on what a pap smear is, what happens in an annual well visit and why you don't need a surgeon to do it. Um, yeah, <laughs> but um, and, and how you probably so could much even better do it yourself if you wanted to. I mean, whenever I, I do a the groupie strep test on a, on a, a client, I say, okay, great. So you're going to do it yourself. And they're like, what do you, what do you mean? And I'm like, okay, here's, <laughs> here's how you do the test. This is a Q-tip. <laughs> you're going to put it on your vagina. <laughs> you're going to put it on your anus and then put it back in the tube. And then they're like, wait a minute, what if I don't do it right? I'm like, I think by now, you know, those two holes, you got this. Yeah. Like you totally have this. You want to talk them through it? 
And they're like, oh, my God, that was so much better to just go in my bathroom and do that rather than having to, like, get in a paper gown and lay on a table and, like, wait for someone to walk in in a lab coat. And it's like, yeah, it is. Um, (laughs) So, uh, yeah, for a Q-tip to the vagina. So where was I going with this? Um, Where was I going with this? You don't need a surgeon. What was the original question, Callie? Um, I was asking about oh how I became path. a midwife. <laughs> yeah, okay, right. yeah. So I learned about midwifery. Uh, <laughs> me and my kids. I learned about midwifery when I was pregnant. And I had heard about it, but I did not know what midwives could do. I did not mm-hmm. know what midwives could do. That is one of my personal missions as a midwife: is to make sure people know what we can do. Um, I thought that if you had a midwife, that meant that you were being careless. And I thought that if you had a midwife, that meant that you would not receive the care that you needed when you needed it. And I was, that was, that's a total myth. That's totally wrong. So I learned about it. I think the business of being born had a massive impact on me just because I saw, oh, midwives have medical training. Like they, they, they have real hard training and they really know what to do. And they're experts in in normal and in vaginal birth. And if somebody has seen a thousand cases of normal and I turn up weird, how are they going to miss it? Right. You know, they know what fits into normal and they know what's weird. You know, definitely this thing is weird. Let's call We need to, we need to call in for a consult. Right. So they can sort of see that a mile away. and, And I didn't know that. So that's when I learned about it. And Basically, I knew that my OBGYN that I was seeing did not, I did not feel comfortable there. I felt like people were hiding things from me. I felt like every time I wanted to talk about the birth, I was getting a bunch of non-answers. Yeah. Um, and so that was really how I discovered midwifery. And to make a long story short, uh, I, I met a doula. I met my doula, who I'll just tell you is a, is a, a woman named Alana Posner, who is now a midwife in upstate New York. If anyone is listening in upstate New York, find her and get her to catch your baby. Um, She is a fantastic lady. I met her, Alana Posner with an E, E E-L-A-N-N-A. You should get her on the podcast. Yeah, I'm I'm writing her name down now. (laughs) I'm going to give you her number. She is terrific. She has so much to say. And I met her in my childbirth class. And she became like a sister to me. She just is a wizard at creating relationships, trusting relationships with women. And then when they are ready to hear the next step so they can get the best possible care, she knows how to deliver that information in a way that we can be open to it. And I always thought, you know, having a home birth would be crazy, that that was just for crazy people. Why Mm -hmm. would you do something like that? That's crazy. Um, and when she said to me, you know, I, I had an OBGYN and then I switched to a midwife uh, at the birthing center at what is now called Mount Sinai West. They used to call it Roosevelt Hospital. Okay, yeah. I think it's still on some of the sheets there. Yeah. Anyway, so so they have this in-hospital birthing center. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll be there because that's only a little crazy and then people won't judge me so much. And, um, you know, I... I met my midwife. She's no longer in practice, so it's nobody I'm talking about right now. But, you know, my first visit with the midwife was just horrendous. It was just terrible. I mean, she just basically was like, you need to change your attitude. And if you need a C-section, I'll be there with you. And I can't tell you the statistics for the birthing center. And you have to take the class. And I was like, this is so bad. Yeah, that's This is bullshit. I've had it. Yeah, I had really had it. Um, you know, she didn't talk to my partner at all, you know, and anyway, I said to Alana, she said, what is it that you want? 
And I said, I just want someone to check on me and check on the baby. And if everything is okay, say something nice and then see if a baby comes out. Yeah. (laughs) Something so, so simple. Like, is this like what? You know what I mean? And she said, Tanya, there is not a person in New York City, in any institution that is going to agree to that birth plan without 40 million caveats. Mm-hmm. And she said, I really, really want to encourage you to just talk to some home birth midwives. You're under no obligation to sign up with them, but just talk, you know, talk with Josh. That's my partner, Josh. Um, and, and see if he would agree to have some conversations and do some research. And so this is at the end of my pregnancy now. And so I really started to think I was never going to find somebody that I would feel comfortable with, but every single home birth midwife that we met was wonderful and spent an hour with us and explained the process. And ultimately we met my midwife when I was 34 weeks pregnant Wow! and we had our first visit at 35 weeks pregnant, which was just fine because I was pregnant for a million years after that. So we had lots of visits. (laughs) Uh, I was pregnant until I was 42 and a half weeks. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So I went into labor at 42 weeks in one day and had the baby two days later. And, um, yeah. And, and that was the first time I received midwifery care in my life. And uh, it was the most wonderfully understated thing I have ever seen. And, you know, I, I always tell people that, like, you know, there's no question that this is the hardest thing I ever had to do. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing compared to that. And they, they look careful what you wish for. I mean, they checked on me, checked on the baby, said some nice things and waited to see if a baby would come out. I mean, that's what I asked them to do. And it was really hard. I mean, they also, they also, like held me up when I couldn't hold myself up, Yeah, you know, and they, I, I felt like I was hanging on by a hair through, I mean, a hair, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, I was at, I was one hair away from my limit at moments in that it, towards the end of the labor, before the pushing towards my transition and to, to look up for a second and see everyone just sitting by my side. Yeah. And inside you go, I mean, I went, okay, I guess I'll just keep going. <laughs> I mean, no one's saying Yeah. <laughs> but they're just, I'll just keep going, you know? And, and I remember I was sitting with my baby on my couch, like an hour after the birth. And like my doula was like cleaning up. My midwife was like, you know, doing her chart. And, um, I'm holding this baby that they said was so big, but like, you know, was the smallest thing I had ever held in my life, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and he was nine pounds and, you know, I had him in the water. He was nine pounds and I had no stitches. I got up and walked away from the entire thing. That's incredible. And I'm, do you believe that? I mean, I was completely unqualified, unqualified to have this. Um, and that's part of where my whole no purple crystals comes from is that, you know, I was raised by the TV on a couch and my favorite food is Doritos. And I am telling you, that this experience exists for us all. Yeah. For us all. And I did not have a home birth because I was looking to have like a spiritually transformative and empowering experience. Like <laughs> I was not looking for any of these things. I just was like, can you just get out of my way and see if the baby comes out? Yeah. Like, I just had this feeling that I was going to need some space, you know? 
And, um, and <laughs> that's great. I mean, really? Yeah. Yeah. And, and is that what so much to, to ask? <laughs> is that so much to ask? And what happened to me was that I was, I was spiritually transformed. I was completely changed by that experience. And it, and they, my midwife, my doula, they let that experience be a hundred percent mine. They never posted on Facebook that they were with me that day. They never said that I'm at, I was at birth number 79 today. They never did that. Never. Yeah. That was between me and them and God. And the only people who saw me do it were, were us. Yeah. And they've seen a million people do it. But I saw what I did that day. And my partner saw what I did that day. And it, it was undeniable that we made it through and, um, and I had no stitches. I mean, I don't know. I, yeah. wish, I love it when people explain to you how they had no stitches. I was like, look, <laughs> I had a baby and I had no stitches. So, so that is, that's what happened to me. And so when I, I was sitting there with my midwife and I said, this is what you people do for a living. And she was like, uh-huh. And I was like, you just came to work today and you gave me this chance, which to me was the most generous opportunity that I had ever been given expecting nothing in return and no credit. That's powerful. Yeah. And I had never experienced that kind of generosity. And I immediately thought I got to, I got to reevaluate my life because I didn't know that there was a chance to, to be a part of this for people. And I want to do that too. Um, so I, I thought I actually wanted to be a midwife, but, um, you know, I, you know, have a, a bachelor of music and, a, you know, I, I mean, I, I had not taken science since I was 16, mm-hmm. you know, so I just thought you have to go to nursing school. How am I going to do this? So I thought, oh, Tanya, you're crazy. You know, and, and my, my doula, Alana said, well, why don't you become a doula and see what it's like? You know, go, go sit with people in birth and see what it's like. And so, so I did. So I had a three month old and I trained to be a doula. And if you're a doula in New York city, you know, you hang a shingle and everyone needs you because there is an unending, unsatisfiable need for doulas in this town. There's such a gap in the care. People really need the guidance of a doula. So I started attending birth when my son was six months old. And I would say it was about a year into that. I mean, I very quickly realized that I was in fact being called to be a midwife yeah. like that my work was actually right up next to her that like if she, what I wanted was to say if you come to me for care I know the kind of care you're going to get yeah yeah that that was going to be a big part of my work and that if I was going to really make change in the world as far as you know, my visions for changing the maternity care system, I was going to need some serious street cred to do that. And that meant becoming a midwife for sure and being in the front lines. So, you know, I, uh, there are many paths to midwifery. We could do a whole nother podcast on that, <laughs> but to make a very long story short, the, there, I was qualified to apply for one program. I happened to love that program. I applied for that program and I got accepted. And it happens to be one of the fastest programs you can go through. Uh, they try to kill you while you're there. Um, <laughs> so if you live, you get papers, which is really great. I worked very, very hard. Uh, so, so I did. So I, I went to Yale and Yale is the only uh, program that the only prerequisite you have to have is a bachelor's degree in any subject. You don't have to have any 
um, any science background. You don't have to have anything like that. They're going to give it to you when you get there, yeah. which is part of the we're going to try to kill you thing. <laughs> um, but they, they have a firm belief in the nursing program at Yale that those prerequisites are a barrier and that they're keeping people out of, of midwifery and out of advanced practice nursing. So they're just trying to pick people that are really passionate, that are willing to do the work, and they just take them right through. I, that's um, interesting. I, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I've said, but I'm on my path towards midwifery and I'm just still trying to figure out like what what makes sense so this is good to hear. yeah <laughs> I have I I have very strong feelings about the barriers that are placed in front of midwives and in front of uh, IBCLCs I think that we need more programs that are going to say we will help you do it all here uh, we can contain this in a way for you but the idea that you have to spend five years going to community college before you can apply even though you've been a doula for however long, you know, you're committed to women's health. Uh, I think it definitely, the, that pathway, that pathway keeps people out. Absolutely. Um, and we need more IBCLCs and we need more midwives. Yeah, it's, we do. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's my opinion. I can fight with somebody about that later, but, um, <laughs> but, um, but so, so that's what I did. And, and I think that for me, you know, there, there are a lot of opinions about the way that people should go into midwifery. I, I did do the majority of my training, uh, my clinical, my formal clinical training in the hospital um, with a wonderful midwifery practice in New Jersey called the Childbirth Center. That's Lonnie Morris and the midwives that she worked with. I worked in some other places as well, but that's really where I did the majority of my clinical rotations. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, Lonnie Morris is, you should get her on the podcast. She is a champion. I've heard of her. She seems amazing. Women and for natural childbirth. So yeah, exactly. So, so I was in there with her, which was fantastic. And I also did a home birth apprenticeship with my own midwife, Marcy Tardio, on my own uh, one summer. So I did about 10 births with her uh, and about 100 with Lonnie. Um, but what happened for me, you know, I think I, I really thought, okay, I'm going to be a good girl. I'm going to go work in the hospital. You know, I'm going to go pay my dues. I'm going to do all of this. But it became really clear to me towards the end of my integration integration is the end of midwifery school Mm -hmm. it's sort of like student teaching for midwifery right it's like you dive in and you really do all of it you know um was that the base of good care and what i believed good care um is is in the community is in people's homes is meeting people where they are and without feeling tied to institutional protocols. So the protocols that I use, you know, I have certain yes and no things that are within my comfort zone, but a lot of them are gray and it's because I got to see who's in front of me, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I feel that I definitely receive messages from the relationship that I have with the person in front of me and that we have many options based on, who we're dealing with and this particular case. And I like being able to work creatively. I like having the time to do that. And unfortunately, um, I did not feel that I could do that in the hospital. And, and I'll say that I think that they are a wonderful practice. And of course, like I transfer people there. And if you want to have a natural birth in the hospital, I think they're an excellent place to go. If you were my sister, that's where I would send you. If you wanted to have a natural birth in the hospital, I'd send you right over to Lonnie and to her team. And they would give you an excellent experience. 
But the kind of care that I want to provide for people having natural childbirth, it was a little tricky um, for me there. And I knew that the base for me was really at home and that that was where I belonged. Um, that's where I learned about midwifery and that's what felt right for me. So I was very lucky when I, when I graduated, I was offered a job working with my midwife, um, Marcy Tardio, and I worked with her for about a year. And, uh, then, uh, I stopped working for her mainly because she is sort of on her path to retirement and I'm on my path to growth. And so it made more sense for us to go on our individual paths, uh, but we're still very close friends and, you know, I consult with her, we back each other up. And uh, we're friends. And uh, she's a hero of mine. There's no question yeah. uh, that Marcy Tardio is, um, I mean, there's, I can't even measure the impact that she has had on me as a human. It's, it's such a great person to have. Yeah. It's so important to have these mentors. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so that's why I chose home birth. I think it really chose me. Yeah. It sounds like it. <laughs> Yeah. And I think that, you know, for anyone who is listening, you know, sometimes we think that these decisions are ones we have to analyze, but sometimes we get messages in our guts about what feels best. And there's nothing wrong with listening to your intuition and listening to those messages that you're getting from the universe or whatever you believe in. Um, They're there for a reason. And especially as a midwife, of course, like I rely on my clinical knowledge and my clinical experience, but sometimes there's a feeling in my gut that says, this is not okay. And sometimes there's a feeling in my gut that says, we're okay. Yeah. And I try to really tune into that because it's never steered me in the wrong direction. That's, yeah, it's the, one of the most imp- important tools to have, I think, in this work. Yeah. And I think also like as women, as we grow, right? Yeah. Like we grow into whatever we're meant to become in this life. And we can teach our girls this too, right? Mm -hmm. Which is like when you're getting that message inside and you're hearing that voice that says, I shouldn't do this, or I should do this. I really should do this, or I really shouldn't do this. And you're getting it loud and clear to put your faith in those messages and your intuition that you have something very special inside you which is this voice that is really steering you in exactly the direction that you're meant to be in and that we want to always of course go to our mentors and go to uh the people that um we trust for advice but then we need to tune in within and see what is the answer and if we're not sure give it time the answers will come yeah i think what you're doing is helping cultivate that voice too for other people that's yeah, incredible. I hope so. And I, I think that that is, that's a big part of what we're trying to do is say, good, now you take your time and you figure it out. Yeah, that's great. Well, I feel like, um, <laughs> I don't know if you have any more to say, but I feel like we've talked through a lot of the gamut. Um, thank you so much. If there's, yeah, if there's anything you want to add. Please. I'm good. Yeah. No, I feel complete. Okay. Yeah, um, I, feel like I feel complete. Yeah. Inspired. People can reach me. <laughs> yeah. People can reach me through my website, manhattanbirth.com. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Please. Um, you. And yeah, people can reach, and you can find me on social media, Manhattan Birth. Um, and, um, you know, I definitely am very passionately interested in putting, whenever I hear, I mean, for birth workers who are, who are, 
listening, I'm very interested when there's a birth worker who has something to say, who wants to use their voice to get it out there to people about what's possible, that I just want to encourage everybody to keep following where this is headed. Because if, if not us, then I don't know who is here to make a difference for people. I totally agree. Thank you so much for being that voice for so many. (laughs) My pleasure, Kaylee. It's great to talk to you You as always. You too. Have a good day. Hi again, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode and feel as inspired as I do. Um, If you want to reach Tanya, go to her website. It's www.manhattanbirth.com and you can see her everywhere on social media at Manhattan Birth. Um, reach out to her, ask her questions. She's totally there to help you and she's just incredible. So I hope you felt inspired too. I certainly did. Um, please reach out with any questions or feedback you have. I'd love to hear from you. And if anybody is interested in coming on the podcast and talking with me, I certainly would love to have you. Thanks again and I'll see you next week.